Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. So do you have a, a vision of God like Joni does? That's a question that matters deeply. It matters whoever we are. It could be a follower of Jesus with a, a massive vision of God or with a very small one. We could be of any other faith or of no faith. And that question still matters because the God we're going to be encountering in his, in his divine words to us this evening is, is more glorious than we could possibly imagine. He's, he's bigger even than the, the limits of our ability to conceive of him. My hope, wherever we're coming from this evening, is that we'll just allow this time to get a a deeper vision of God, each one of us, wherever we're coming from. Because this theme for our sermon this evening comes from the fact that it's a huge theme in these chapters of Exodus. What's going on in in these chapters that that Andy read so well for us and and beyond it is that we're, we're finding God reveal more of himself to Moses. Uh, he, he reveals himself to Moses and through that to the, to the people of uh, Egypt, to Pharaoh, uh, and, then, and then to the whole world. From this evening's passage, from the chapters that follow it, we, we learn some particular things about who God is that are going to come up again and again through the Bible. I'm going to say what they are in a moment, then just unpack uh, them a bit. And then finally, uh, we'll step back and just think about some, some big implications of them f- for each of us. These things come out of this passage, but they also come up throughout the Bible. So we're going to dot around a bit more than we normally would this evening. Uh, helpful just to keep uh, your device or Bible open at Exodus, and then when we come to other things, I'll, I'll quote them as we go. So here's where we're going this evening. Two massive things about God. God is the Lord, and God is absolutely responsible, uh, absolutely sovereign, And we are absolutely responsible. God is the Lord. God is absolutely sovereign. We are absolutely responsible. And then we're going to look at two implications of those things. Deeper humility and deeper trust. Here's that first thing to expand our vision of God. That God is the Lord. Now, God has already made this clear to to Moses in earlier chapters of Exodus. uh, that, That he's going to bring his people out of Egypt Uh, He cares deeply about them, about their oppression, about the suffering they were enduring. So he promises to right the wrongs, uh, to deal with the injustices committed uh, against them by Pharaoh and the people. And he tells Moses that he's going to do that. He he tells him at the burning bush back in chapter 3 that he's going to do that by by bringing the people out through mighty acts of judgment. And so God sends Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. Uh, We saw last week they boldly demand that he let them go. But Pharaoh resists, he makes their slavery harder. And so in last week's passage, we saw Moses complain that God hadn't yet delivered them. And so God said to them again, 
as he had at the burning bush here at the beginning of, at the beginning of chapter 6, uh, that he would definitely bring them out of Egypt, that he was going to keep his promise. And in God's reply at the beginning of chapter 6, we looked at it last week, and God tells Moses the biggest reason why he's going to deliver the people. It's out of a deep love and concern for them, yes, but he gives them actually an even bigger reason. So if you've got it near you, just look with me at chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you to be my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. So God is doing all of this so that they will know that he is the Lord. He told Moses this back in first, back in chapter 3 from the burning bush. And so what God is doing by, by reminding Moses of it here in chapter 6 is he's saying, I'm going to keep my promises to you. I'm going to deliver you and bring you into the promised land so that you will know that I am the Lord. It's like he's saying to them, when you witness me deliver you from slavery, then you're going to see what I'm really like. You're going to see that I, I really am the Lord, the only God, the eternal God, the unchanging, utterly perfect, unfailingly wise, enduringly faithful, totally sovereign, absolutely extravagantly loving God. That is who I am, Moses, as your Lord God. That, that is who I am, Emmanuel Church. Is that our kind of vision of God? Is that my vision of God, your vision of God? Do we see him as one who is eternal, unchanging, utterly perfect, all-wise, totally sovereign, unfailingly good, absolutely merciful? Because it's not only the Israelites way back then and the Egyptians that God wanted to see this. He, he wants through the Israelites and then to the Egyptians and then the surrounding nations at the time, they heard of the Lord God through the, the, the deliverance that he, he, he brought about, as we'll see in the coming weeks, so that they would know that he was the Lord. And he's the same Lord today who wants our vision of himself to grow. We see that very clearly at the start of chapter 7. Chapter 7 First one, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord." When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. And that's the first thing we're seeing from these words. God is the Lord. He, he delivered the people out of their oppression, both because of his deep love and concern for them, but, but supremely so that they would know that he is the Lord. This eternal, unchanging, all-wise, perfectly faithful, ultimately loving God. He knew it, he did it so that they would know the Lord and then so that we would know the Lord. And this is always how God has been operating. When he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, again, he did that so that we would know him, 
Remember how John's gospel starts? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In other words, Jesus the word is the one who comes down to earth and through whom we see who God is. Jesus talks about how he came to reveal the Father. It's so that we would know that he is the Lord. God is the Lord. Unchanging, eternal, faithful, utterly wise, all good, perfectly all-knowing. And absolutely sovereign. It's the second thing from, from these words in Exodus. God is absolutely sovereign over all things. While we are absolutely responsible. Now let me say right up at the front of this that I realise this that's a massive area of the Bible. It raises some perplexing questions. Maybe we will have thought about them before. Maybe this is completely new territory. And we can only say so much about it this evening. Uh, being really honest, I was very torn about whether to say something about this. Because um, it does raise lots of questions. But it's my conviction uh, about the Bible, which I think the Bible itself teaches, uh, and which I've seen again and again in, in the experience of my own life and, and those who I've seen through, through ministry, that, that every part of the Bible is true. And if that, that is the case, then, then every part of it must be potentially precious to our souls. And what we're going to see in the next few minutes, God's absolute sovereignty and our responsibility, that is precious to our souls. So I'm going to just try and help us to see where I'm getting that from in the Bible, and then, and then we'll step back and think about some ways it's precious to us. Like I say, big area. There'll, there'll be questions that we might have. Really happy to chat. Loads of helpful resources, again, to share as well. So we're looking at this conviction. God is absolutely sovereign over all things, and we are absolutely responsible. Responsible for our choices, our actions, our words, everything that we do. But God is absolutely sovereign. I'm getting that from from two particular things in these chapters, Exodus chapter 6 and 7. The first is that from that genealogy that Andy so flawlessly read for us. And at the first, it might seem very out of place in this narrative, it's like, it feels like it interrupts the flow of the story of Exodus. But, but genealogies all through the Bible, they're, they're, they're there to say very specific things to us. And one thing, it's not the only thing, but one thing that this genealogy is showing us is that God was lovingly in control over the destiny of his people Israel. You may remember back at, in Genesis, God promises to bring out of his people, to, to, to make them into a great nation uh, in a wonderful promised land, enjoying his blessing. And what this genealogy is doing is is saying, even in the midst of this oppression, God is remembering those promises. Because if you dig back into the story of some of the people in this genealogy, it's striking. They weren't exactly stand-up characters. There's some pretty shady people in that list. Some some spectacular sins mentioned. And yet they're recorded here. And I, I think one big reason for that is to show us that even when, when they really muck up, God's sovereign plan isn't being thwarted. Even in the midst of their failure, he is bringing about their generations who, are, who move towards Moses and Aaron, this same Moses and Aaron, it says, who speak to the people. In other words, God in this moment is doing something despite the people's sinfulness. God's working in his sovereignty, and yet they're responsible 
And that, so that's one way in that genealogy we see his loving sovereignty. The second is from verses three and five, three to five of chapter seven. Verse three, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty hands of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. You notice in those verses we're told God will harden Pharaoh's heart and also that Pharaoh will not listen to his warnings. God hardens Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardens his own heart. We don't get that just in these verses. It's going to come up repeatedly as we see in the chapters next week uh, with the plagues that God sends. At the end of each plague, God is going to send, uh, we're told that something about Pharaoh's heart responses. So just before the the first plague, we're told that, that Pharaoh's heart became hard, just as the Lord had said. And then just after the second plague, again. And then at the end of the third plague, we're told he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. And so it continues after every plague. Something is said about God, Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Other times it says God hardened his heart. In other words, Pharaoh is responsible for his actions, his choices, his hardness of heart. And yet at the same time, God is completely sovereign in the situation. God completely sovereign. Pharaoh completely responsible. And that is true of of everyone through every age. Here's how one Bible scholar, Don Carson, has very helpfully defined this. He says, The Bible as a whole, and sometimes in specific texts, presupposes or teaches that both of the following propositions are true. One, God is absolutely sovereign, but his sovereignty never functions in such a way that human responsibility is curtailed, minimized, or mitigated. Two, Human beings are morally responsible creatures. They significantly choose, rebel, obey, believe, defy, make decisions, and they are rightly held accountable for such actions. But this characteristic never functions so as to make God absolutely contingent on us. God's sovereign. We're responsible. And he goes on to demonstrate that through loads and loads of texts. Happy to recommend the book afterwards. Loads of examples. I just want to give us three of them to, get, to help us get a feel of this. It's three where those two things come side by side together in each passage. So at the end of Genesis, this is the first one, we get Joseph's brothers. Uh, they had sold him into slavery many years before. Uh, they've come to Egypt in the middle of the famine to ask for food. Uh, Joseph's there. He's the second most powerful man in uh, Egypt, uh, just below the pharaoh. Uh, He's been appointed over the land, and he's stored up wisely because God's revealed to him there's going to be a famine. He's stored up, and so the surrounding nations are coming to to him and and asking for food. And so they come into his presence, his brothers. They don't realize at the start that it's him, Uh, but then he reveals himself to them. They're terrified, and so Joseph says this to them. This is Genesis 50, verses 19 to 20. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. They, his brothers, intended to harm him, 
They're then morally responsible. They feel a right guilt for it. And yet at the same time, God intended to use that so that Joseph would be in this position to save many people through famine. Jump forward right into the New Testament. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. And he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. So Paul says we're to work out our salvation, not to work for it. Remember that free grace series, we, we can't work our way to salvation. It's a free gift we receive by faith. But we are to work out our salvation. That means continually working towards the goal of becoming more like Jesus. We actively seek to obey Jesus, and so we're working out our salvation. So, so we're responsible for, for seeking lives of obedience And at the same time, Paul writes this about God's sovereignty in bringing about our growth. He says, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We work and God works. Responsible we are and God is sovereign. And perhaps most strikingly of all, we we see those two things come together in, in the death of the Lord Jesus. And that means of our salvation. Acts chapter 4, verses 7 to 28. Members of the early church pray to God and they say, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So Herod, Pontius Pilate, the people, they've got together, they conspire to kill Jesus. They are morally responsible for putting to death the innocent son of God. And at the same time, we hear of their part in God's divine plan. They did what your power, God, and your will had decided beforehand should happen. So again and again, those two emphases coming together, side by side, our responsibility, God's sovereignty. Let's listen to how uh, Joni, who we heard from earlier, how she speaks of this. She said, nothing is a surprise to God. Nothing is a setback to his plans. Nothing can thwart his purposes. Nothing is beyond his control. His sovereignty is absolute. Everything that happens is uniquely ordained by God. Sovereignty is a weighty thing to ascribe to the nature and character of God. Yet if he were not sovereign, he would not be God. Now, we might be thinking, if, if God is sovereign over all things, does that mean he is tainted by evil when evil things happen? It's a fair enough question to ask. And, and the Bible is consistent, again, on this. Just as it's consistent that God is sovereign, we're responsible. So it also says God is not tainted in any way by evil. He's not an accomplice to evil in any way whatsoever. Instead, he is unfailingly as the Lord, utterly, consistently, eternally perfect, good, and loving. So here we have these three things that are consistent throughout the scriptures. God's absolute sovereignty, our complete responsibility, and God's utter goodness. What I want to do in the remainder of our time is just to show two implications of this vision of God. 
Here's the first. A bigger vision of God is meant to lead to a deeper humility in us. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. To put that in a different set of words, there are many things that God the Father, Son, and Spirit have revealed to us about the Godhead, about the Trinity. They've been revealed, as I said, in the person of the Lord Jesus, supremely, and then in the written word of God. And he's revealed those things to us for our good, including the things that we've been seeing this evening. But there are other things he hasn't revealed to us because they wouldn't be good for us. So God hasn't revealed to us exactly how it is that he can be utterly sovereign, that we can be totally responsible, and that he can be utterly perfect and good. There are some really helpful ways of, sort of trying to get our heads around that a bit. And again, I'm happy to chat about some of those. But, but ultimately, essentially, our minds boggle at that. And that's because they were meant to. That's because we can't fully comprehend God. If we could, then, as Joni said, well, he would no longer be God. This uh, picture here might help. It's a picture of the statue of Christ the Redeemer. Uh, This statue overlooks Rio de Janeiro, uh, and it's massive. It's it's 30 meters high uh, on top of an eight-meter platform. Its arms stretch 28 meters wide. And then here's a, a cardboard box. Well, I want you to imagine that someone told you, you you now need to fit the Christ the Redeemer statue into that cardboard box. We can see that it's an absurd thing even to suggest, can't we? And yet, sometimes I try to do that with God. I try to put the the Lord, the eternal, unchanging, all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-wise, all-sovereign God of the universe into a box, a box of my own imagination. See, we don't need to, to fully comprehend or understand this truth of God's absolute sovereignty over all things before it can become precious to our souls. say to us this evening that if we wait to to think, I've got to get this all sorted in my mind before I let it be precious to us, then we're cutting ourselves off from a deeply soul-satisfying way of of enjoying God's goodness to us. Just this week, at some point in time, am I able to feel able to share with you as a church family some of the things that that have happened this week that have just reminded me, reminded Claire of God's absolute sovereignty in our lives. His absolute goodness. Just some really concrete ways that he's he's been showing us that this week. And in his good, uh, good and wise sovereignty, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think, I think he wanted to say to me, this week, John, don't just preach these things, live these things. Don't just 
just say these things on Sunday evening. Let me show you these things again. In time, I'd, I would love to share them with you, but many of us will, will have our own experiences where we're, we're able to say, yes, God, you're sovereign. I'm sorry, I, I'm responsible. I, I, I sometimes make a complete mess of things. Or other people make a mess of things. Other people come in and, and do things to me that I just, I just can't understand. And yet in, in the midst of it, I, I say, blessed be your name. So God's absolute sovereignty can lead, lead to a deeper humility in us. And, and lastly, it can lead, lead to a deeper trust. That's what it's been doing in, in my life as well this week and in Claire's, I pray it will happen in yours. Because if the pandemic has taught us anything, surely it is that we're not ultimately in control of so much of our circumstances, so much of what goes on around us. We're not in control of so many of the circumstances that, that weigh us down, the, the griefs that we bear, the sicknesses, the sufferings, the sorrows we endure. But imagine how we would feel if we had a God who wasn't totally sovereign or in control of those things. You see, when it feels like it's, your life is just sort of spinning out of control, you and I need a God who is rock solid, a God whose plans can't be thwarted by anything in our circumstances, anything that others do to us, anything that we do, anything that we endure, a God who is at work in his world, in our lives, in ways that we cannot understand and yet which show his sovereign goodness. So I want to say to us this evening, if your world feels like it's spinning out of control, you can cling to this God who is in ultimate control of all things, of your life. In that genealogy, everyone there was mentioned by name and he knows your name. He knows your circumstances and in his good and wise sovereignty, he is ruling over them to bring about your good and his glory. I can't pretend to understand that. You can't pretend to understand that. And yet, that is what he's doing. So would you embrace that this evening? Say to God, Lord, you are, you are at work. I, I can't get my head around all of it, but you are at work in my life. Please would you minister to me this evening a deep trust, a deep humility in you that, that you are sovereign, that you are good. That you're in control over, over all these things, that you have our lives in your hands. We're going to come to sing of some of these realities now. And as the band come up, I just want to explain that after we have this song, we're going to come, as, as Wendy mentioned, to communion to break bread and to take wine together and in doing that to remember that even what human beings meant for evil, murdering the Son of God, God has used for our ultimate eternal good. He's offered himself for us. So as we take this bread and this wine this evening, we are recognizing our dependence on this all-loving, all-sovereign God. And we're confessing our responsibility for the sin in our lives that we're responsible for. And we're going to do that as we remember him in this meal that he gave to us. We'll be in lots of different places as, as we have this song and then this moment of communion. If you are not sure yet, you're a follower of the Lord Jesus. 
but something about this God is, is drawing you. Or even you just don't know how you feel. You could stay in your seat if you want when we invite you up for communion, if that would feel the appropriate thing for you. Or you can come forward, and as Wendy mentioned, there'll be people either side of those administering communion who can say a word of, of the Bible as a, as a prayer over you. And even if you, you're not quite sure how that will feel, or you don't even quite know, is God really real? Can I trust anything about him? but you feel just any kind of stirring inside you at all towards him, that, that might be a way of, of expressing that and of us being able to pray with you and then maybe talk to one of us afterwards, to Wendy, to me, to John, someone else on the team, and, and we might be able to, to help you think that through. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.